pray with me. Father, I, I believe. I believe. Help my unbelief. We believe, Lord Jesus, but help our unbelief. We so desperately need you in these times that seem so desperate. But you are right here. You are in our midst. Your presence is present among God's gathered people. I thank you for the goodness it is to be near God. As we continue to worship you now, Lord, in your word, I pray that what we lack, you would give us. That what we cannot see, you would show us. That what we do not know, you would teach us. And most of all, for the fame of your name and the glory of your gospel, what we are not yet, your word and your spirit and your bride would make us. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Let me ask you guys a question as you're getting seated. How would you define a successful church? How would you define a successful church? And a follow-up question would be, and is it possible that our definition as Western Americans, like you know, Westerners that live in America and, we're, and maybe... I was not raised in the church or brought up in the church, but we have all expired. We can only filter things through our own reality, and we all live here in the United States. And so, our, our most of our experience for most of us here has been in American churches. Has that possibly, and I'll just say it, polluted our definition of what a successful church would be? Because honestly, for years in our country, and I mean for decades in our country, a successful church has been defined by what I would call the ABCs of churchdom. And they are, the ABCs are attendance, baptisms, and cash. Get them in, get them wet, get them committed financially. And the church has been really good at that for a long time. But what I mentioned last week is, I think it was last week, is what if, what if all of that what we think of as the good old, because, like, you know, we, we're lamenting church attendance going down. And, we're, and I, I'm just talking about Cornerstone. I mean, everywhere in America, it's going down. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. The COVID stuff, even setting that aside, people are wandering away from the faith and disconnecting from churches at unheard of rates all throughout the West. It's been happening in Europe for, for quite a while. We're just catching up. Right, so but what if so? So we kind of tend to want to long for those good old days when the like I, I think I mentioned the Maranatha praise bands and the you know the, the places were packed and people were getting baptized and it was just an amazing time. What if all of that was an affront to Christ? Honestly, not that good stuff couldn't have. I got saved through that time in the '90s. I'm not like I'm not saying good things can't happen there, but what if the way we were doing it? was an affront to Jesus. So before you guys get too, like, I'm speaking heretically here, we're going to be in Ephesians today, but I want you to open your Bibles up to Revelation. Easy to find, last book of the Bible, Revelation. And I want to read to you the words of Christ, because I think they will hopefully convince you much more than my own words will. They certainly should, if they don't, because these are the words of Jesus. The Revelation of Christ, it was the last book written in the Bible it, on purpose. It was John's revelation of Christ, who Christ is. He comes, shows himself to John, and then immediately addresses seven churches. And in chapter 2, verse 1, he addresses, addresses the church at Ephesus this way. The angel, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the stars in his right hand and the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, and you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you, and you found them to be false. And you, have, and you have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. Guys, that's, a, that's almost as good as it gets in the book of Revelation for a church. 
Right? I mean, those are solid things. He is commending them for solid... This, this, I would say, is very much like what the church was like in its heyday in America. It was doing these things for the most part. But then look what it says. But this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and I will remove your lampstand out from its place unless you repent. They were doing all kinds of wonderful things. They just somehow had forgotten that the whole thing was about their love for Christ and his love for them. Let's look at one more church, the church at Laodicea. I'm going to pick it up in chapter 3 and starting in verse 14. It says, And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, says this. So that's a very fancy way of saying, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I, and I have to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Guys, he stands at the door of where? The church. It's actually, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's the people. It's, he, he stands at the door. This is not a call. He's not standing at the door of the unbeliever. He's speaking to the church here. He's saying, I stand at the door of your heart as the church, and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on the throne and also over, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Guys, do you wonder why Jesus would make some of his very last words that he speaks in this, in this vision that he gives to John, why would he make them about the church? Why would he address seven churches? With seven, we, and we taught through Revelation. You can go back. It was in a series that we called not, um, Already Finished But Not Yet Done. It was uh, a couple years ago. It started in the summer of 2019, I think. You can go to our website. You can go to iTunes. They're all uploaded. I'm not here to teach on Revelation today, but we have taught through this stuff in detail. But guys, maybe the reason Jesus is addressing the church in his last book and his last words to us is because the church is what really matters to him. Guys, we are what Christ is doing in the world today. This is it. This, the church is what Christ is doing in our world. So how we define church, how we do church, really matters. And guys, when I say church, I'm not just talking about the Sunday gathering. right? We, we all know the church is not a building, it's the people of God. It is the gathered people of God that make up the church. But that gathered people isn't just a, a Sunday gathering. We're going to see today that it was gathering in the temple. They would do that on a Saturday then. We do it on Sundays and house to house. It's anytime God's people gather, we are his church. And how we do church should matter tremendously. And my goal today, honestly, is to try to, I'm just being real upfront with you, is to try to continue to convince you that we need to do church differently in America. Right, that we just because and and if the recent events of the past year and the past months have not proven that to us, I don't know what will. So we need to start talking about like what is a successful church? Is a church glorifying God and Christ? Right? Is it is it being led by the Holy Spirit? Or is it just program driven and anybody who does these things? can have a successful church because I've got the successful church program built into a box. Another thing I had written down is, is should, we need to define church obviously as teaching God's truth and not just a bunch of self-help techniques because then we're just a TED talk, right? If you don't know what those are, look it up. 
There are actually some pretty good ones, and there are some really bad ones too. But we are not here to be a TED Talk. At the same time, we, because of, the, because of kind of our background spiritually, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here a little bit, we might think, well, a successful church is a church that stands on the Word of God and has a lot of Bible study. Okay, but if we're not doing anything for the mission of making disciples and planting churches, we don't need more Word and Bible study. Right? It's, it's got to be lived out. So we can, we can sometimes be the most self, like we have this idea, like when I'm talking about, oh, those, it's those churches over there that aren't really standing on the gospel. But we're a word church, so we're, really, we're on mission. But our problem is if we're not on mission, then we're not, we're, we're not actually pleasing to him either. We can preach the word all day long, and it isn't going to make a difference unless we go out into the world and make a difference. Because we have to be the church. And we'll talk more about that as we go along too. Guys, here's the thing. And you're going to hear me say this throughout the message, I think. I never know for sure what's going to come out of this mouth. But the church needs to be unexplainable by earthly standards. Right? The reason the early church worked to see the mission go forward was not because it was a bunch of people gathered together for obvious reasons. Like, because, oh, they all look the same, they all vote the same, they all act the same, they all think the same, they parent the same. They, that, that was not what it was. It was a completely diverse group of people. Like literally, skin color, language, you name it, in every way they could be diverse, that were supernaturally knit together. And they had one thing in common, and it was Jesus. And that was enough for them. Right? That, that kind of church is what the world will look in on and go, that's not normal. Right? If, if they can walk in here and go, well, of course I can see why all these people gather this way. Because they're all the same person. That makes sense to them. Right? It's, it's, but that is not the supernatural church that we need to be about. So... With that, if you have, oh, by the way, I, I just wanted to show you, this was kind of an aside, I didn't know where to fit it in exactly, but I just wanted to show you. So, so a few weeks ago, um, we said, not goodbye, but see you soon to the Sidler family. Daniel Sidler was our deacon over family ministries, he went over to help a church kind of get started in, um, or kind of get replanted over in the surprise area, and he sent me this picture the other night. Do you, do you see what he's doing? Well, you probably can't tell for sure what he's doing, but here... That's their leadership team. The guy at the very end of the table on the right is their lead pastor, Josh. I've known him since he was dating one of my high school students when he was just out of high school. So don't take it weird. Um, like 20-something years ago. Um, he is walking them through the toolkit. That, and, 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 I, and I hesitate to call it the cornerstone toolkit because our goal is to give it away. But he is taking the model that he is seeing here and trying to train them there for that. Guys, that's a win. That's a win. Praise the Lord. Even when it stinks to say goodbye. So today, what we're talking about, so now back to the message. So today, what we're talking about is God is with us together. So here's the question I'm going to ask today, and it's in your connecting points. Is why does participation in the local church matter so much to God? Why does the part, and I chose those words very carefully when I wrote the question. Why does the participation... Your participation in the local church, not just the capital C global church, that is a thing. But there's a big C church and there's also the local church. Why does the local church, your participation in it, matter so much to God? And we're going to see it's because God has defined roles. They're his roles. right? God has his reasons and they produce his results. If we don't do church the way God is telling us to do church, then we can get the glory for it. I don't want that. I don't want, I, what I love about since we started regathering, and, and, it all, and, and this journey we've been on with the Holy Spirit and, and trying to remorph things started actually in March before, in, in 2019, not just 2020. But when we started regathering on Pentecost, one of the things I love about our glorious mess is we don't really know every day exactly what's going to happen here. We don't have the whole plan laid out. And that will be true for our D groups that are starting up next Monday, a week from tomorrow. And that will be true for our discipleship stuff that I'm going to talk about a little bit in a little bit. Guys, and, and for some of you that is hard, guys, I'm a gift of leadership and administration person. I love my world. I'm like RJ. Well, maybe not that square. But I like my stuff in a box. 
I love the first you do this, then you do this, then you do this, then you do this. There, what's, what's, here's, what's, here's what I've, I've had to force myself to embrace in the glorious mess. One, really limits the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit does not live in boxes. Second thing, if I can just move you people through a bunch of boxes, I can just move you people through a bunch of boxes. First you take class 100, then you do 200, then you do 300, then you do 400. And congratulations, you are a completely mature disciple in Christ. But that didn't require anything but a, a strong leader and a willpower. Right? When we step back and go, man, we're just going to see how the Holy Spirit works. Makes me uncomfortable. Makes you uncomfortable. But in the end of it, just like what we, just like today. I, I took some pictures today for the first time in a long time because I'm like, God, this is your glory. Guys, there are churches, literally, I I was listening to a podcast of a pastor of a church of 7,000 who was lamenting the fact that he can't get 50 people to show up for prayer on Sunday morning. 7,000! And he can't get them to do what you guys are doing. Why? Because Doug didn't get you to come here for prayer. The Holy Spirit did. That, so he gets the glory for it. And we need to, I took the picture so that we can say, hey, you want to see God working? God working. Not Doug working, not Cornerstone working. God working. I am already so way behind, it's uh, out of control, but that's okay. So today's question, why does your participation matter so much, your participation in the local church matter so much to God? First, it's God's rules. We're in Ephesians, like I said, so go to Ephesians chapter 4. I don't think I told you where yet, so I apologize. Ephesians chapter 4, and we are going to fly. Guys, you're going to want to have a Bible probably because um, you'll, you, it's nice to have, but also because we're going to be in it a lot, and we're going to be moving around quite a bit, Lord willing. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 11. He says this, and he gave some as apostles... So these are God's roles. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Specifically, these are offices that God calls out in, for the local church. He's, he's talking about these different, these different areas. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. Again, I've taught through the spiritual gifts. Where I'll, I'll share a little bit more with you in just a minute about that. But the, but the idea is here is the, this is like sort of the specific roles in a church. Guys, one of my favorite Spurgeon quotes was, and, I, and I've thought about this a lot in the last 10 years in particular, was Spurgeon said something to the effect of, I think it's going to come up on the screen, is if a man can do something besides preach and teach the word of God, he should do it. That is not, a, he was the prince of preachers, lived in the 1800s. That is not to say, because this job is so hard. That is to say, that unless you are compelled to fulfill one of these roles, you should go do something else. Because anybody fulfilling one of these roles, specifically the pastor and teacher, according to Spurgeon, should feel like, I can't not do it. But guys, we got to understand something. The gifting of the Holy Spirit is not specific to just staff. To just professional church stuff. Me being called pastor of Cornerstone is not a spiritual gift. Right? If you are a saved, sealed follower of Christ, you have been gifted. I want you to turn to, you're going to read in Romans 12 this week about the spiritual gifts. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12. So you're just going to go to the left to where we are in Ephesians, a few books. 1 Corinthians 12. And I want to show you what Paul says about how each of us has a gift. It is not just a chosen few who are gifted by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of of connecting in the body of Christ. We all have a role to play, God's roles. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's laying out this idea of, guys, if you are saying Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Now, therefore, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. And again, I've taught through this in great detail. I'm not going to today. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for their personal well-being. No. For the common good. The collective witness, I would say. 
For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, the word of knowledge according to the Spirit. So he's starting to list off some of the gifts of the Spirit. To another, faith by the Spirit. To another, a gift of healing by the Spirit. To another, the effects of miracles. To, to another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But to one, get this, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing each one of them individually just as he will, wills. Guys, do you understand that you, if you are his, you have been specifically saved on purpose, for a purpose, and, and we're going to see at the end, you have been put into a local body so that your body part fits well. Guys, a severed arm does not do the body any good. If you're an arm, like the body, just use the body of Christ analogy, if you're, and, and, and Paul goes on to talk about that in 1 Corinthians, if you're an arm, God's gifted you to be an arm, and you sever the arm. In other words, you go, you know what, but I'm, I'm not really into the church thing. I'm going to go hang out over here somewhere. And, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we all know people who are sitting at home right now who used to be a part of a church. Or who maybe have said for years, yeah, I'm a Christian, I just don't do church. They are a severed arm. One, the body can get no benefit from a severed arm. Right? If my arm gets cut off, the rest of my body's going, thanks for leaving us. What, do you, what good are you to, to us now? Here's the second thing. That severed arm, what's it going to look like later? If it's not connected to the body, it's going to dry up, shrivel up, and eventually die. And that is what happens. Guys, I've said this over and over. There is, I, I get that there are people with health issues, etc. But I'm speaking as a general statement to 99.9% .9 of all people who profess faith in Christ. So don't tell me about the missionary who's the only Christian in the town they're in. That's not who you are. That's not who you are if you're listening on the internet right now. Right now, you're in a place where there are a lot of churches. Here's the bottom line. There is no room in Scripture. There is no place in this book for the disconnected Christian. There just isn't. You cannot make the case that I am a follower of Christ and I'm not into church. That is an affront to God. It just, guys, it just is. And you've heard me say it and you've heard me teach on it enough that, that hopefully you know that the word of God proves that. It just is what it is. Connection to the body is what you have been gifted for. And we have to believe that. Is that me doing that? On your paper, or on, on, your pa on your table, there is an orange paper. We've passed them out here many times. There's more of them, I think, Mark, on the, on the back um, connecting table that, that goes through the spiritual, gifted, the spiritual gifts and how, if you don't know what your gifting is, it will walk you through. It's, it is not the end-all, be-all. I'm not saying go home and do this and you're going to have this ba moment. I am saying that if you're sitting here today going, yeah, but I don't really know how, what my gifting is and how it can be useful in the body of Christ, that orange handout is a great place to start. Front and back, it walks you through all the steps. Take it, do it, talk to me, talk to one of the leadership here at the church and we'll, and, or our wives, and we'll help you figure out how you can connect your body part to the body of Christ. Guys, understand, whether it's 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, the passage we're in, we're going to be back here in Ephesians. Guys, it, the idea of, of Christians connected to the body is not a suggestion in the Bible. Jesus isn't suggesting it. It is a command. It is a command. And guys, here's the thing. We, we all know people, who for, even family members, who for years have been saying, I'm a Christian. And then they go to, they, they, they die. And at their funeral or whatever, we, we, I hear this so many times. Well, they said they were a Christian, but I never really saw any fruit. Right? We, all, we, we can all think of people that are like that. What do we mean by that when we say that? I, they just didn't seem very nice. That's really what we mean. Like, we didn't really see, like, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Absolutely, that's true. Like, we, like, if you are saved, you should be, not all the time, not perfectly, we're still fighting the flesh, but we should be, like, exuding that fruit. But guys, just, I, I'm, I'm going, I'm just going to tell you, just as often, in fact, probably more, in fact, more so in the Bible, the, the fruit of your proof of your salvation is your excitement about and your, connect, and your willingness to be connected to a local body of believers. That's the gospel truth, and we don't see it that way. We, would, we won't say to somebody, yeah, he professed faith in Christ. I'm not really sure about his fruit issue, love, joy, peace, but he never attended church or, or served the body of Christ a day in his life, but I still think he's saved. 
I don't know people's hearts. I'm not telling you that that, that that person that you're thinking of right now is not saved. I'm saying that the Bible makes a really strong case for the fact that if we are saved, we will want to step into fellowship. We, not because we always think it's fun. I've said this before. So you people frustrate me. I know I frustrate you. Right? Hey, thank you. I, I, at least you're honest. Right? I, I get it. I'm not saying we would step into fellowship because it's just this sweet, wonderful thing. It can be. It can also be a real pain in the rear end because we're people. And people have problems. And people together have problems. That's okay. If your response to that is, so I'm out, that's not okay. And I think I'm making that point enough. So here we keep going. So why does your participation in the local church matter so much? One, because you've been given a role in the local church. Whether you knew it or not, you don't need a title, pastor, teacher, whatever. You have been, if you are saved and sealed, you're given a role. And if you're not exercising that role, you, I'll just say it, you're in sin. You just are. So next thing is, God has a reason for that. So let's go back to our passage in Ephesians and see what God's reason is. Verse 13. He says, until we attain. So, so all of these roles are being put together for the building up of the body of Christ for this reason. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure and stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Guys, it's each... I, I, I've said this a lot. The, the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and applies it to the people of God that they might become the image of the Son of God. Absolutely. The Spirit of God also connects the church of God that the people of God might become the image of the Son of God. Not a single one of us on our own can be Jesus to anybody. I cannot be Jesus by myself to somebody. The body of Christ is us together. Only when all those parts fit together can we really be the complete picture of Jesus. So you by yourself cannot be. Even you and your family don't have enough people to be unless you're the Teutons. And um, just kidding. But even they cannot be the body. It's, it's the, because why? Here, here, I didn't even think of this. Probably should stay on my notes. It's okay. Here's, here's why the Teutons can't be the body of Christ all by themselves. Even though there's how many? 13 now? Not kids. Just total people. 12. Total people. Okay, 12. Sorry. So there's 12. Here's why. Although every one of those precious children was a gift of God, he didn't knit that family together in a spiritual unity. They're a family. They're a biological family. Does not mean they can't be unified. I'm just saying the difference, what Jesus did was redefine the family. He said, it's not my brothers and sisters that are a family. It is my brothers and sisters in me that are a family. It is the uniting of the Holy Spirit. There are, I, again, I keep saying this, I, there, I say it a lot. There are two supernatural entities in the world that are, that are like relationally, relational entities in the world. One is husband and wife. Um, one man, one woman, united by the Holy Spirit. Look it up. Malachi chapter 2. No. Micah chapter 2. Right? It talks about that. And then what we're going to see at the end of this passage, the church of God. It is a supernatural entity that a family cannot be all by itself. Right? And that's also why it's such a big deal to Jesus. And it's also a big deal why when people just break off that entity, and I don't mean go to help plant something else, or I mean like they just, they're out, they're grieving the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit knit them in, and it's just like a divorce that, that grieves the Holy Spirit. It's the same thing. And so, God's reason is that we would be unified. Now here's, here's, here's a table talk question that's not in your handout. And I'm not going to give you time to talk about it. And it's not just because we're behind. I wasn't planning on it because it would be a little bit too uncomfortable. Here's your table talk question. How would you describe most of your relationships you're in? Are they shallow and superficial or are they transparent and soul impacting? Why is this so in your life? I'm just going to let you read that again by yourself quietly for a second. We live in a world of very superficial relationships. We think we're friends with 2,000 people on Facebook who are only getting to see what I choose to show them, and usually that's the best stuff I got. Right? Th that is not real relationship. And, and frankly, we're not a whole lot deeper even with the people that live in our own home. How you doing, honey? Good. How was your day, honey? Great. How'd the meeting go? Fine. She laughs. 
Why? Because that's me, right? Because I don't want to open up and go, man, you know what? It was really hard, and my heart aches right now. That's not where we want to live. But we have to. We have to be willing to. So I want you to think about, like, why is it so hard for us to live that way? I'm not going to have you turn there because you're going to read about it this week. But in Acts chapter 2, guys, here's what we've got to understand about this point, about God's reason for this unity. It is, this is what I talked about a few minutes ago. It is the supernatural, like, spirit-knit-together unity that is God's attractional model. Guys, you don't see anywhere in Scripture, like, let's, do, let's, let's have a carnival and invite people to Christ. Right? Spurgeon said in the 1800s, what you win them with, you win them to. What he meant by that, because there were churches then that were doing carnivals to share Christ with people. They were having their thousand egg, Easter egg, whatever extravaganza to, in, to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. I understand the heart behind that. Here's the problem. If that's what they came for, that's what they came for. Right? What, not, what, what brought people together, in the, and what you're going to read about in Acts 2, in, and, and, the, and it's, all, it's throughout the book of Acts, but certainly in Acts 2, 3, and 4, is what brought people to Christ was a call to repentance, like a in-your-face Peter going, you bunch of sinners are the ones who hung Jesus on a cross. Repent and believe. That is not selling these days. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be saying it because it's the truth. The second thing is the unifying work of the Spirit in the local church. Peter preaches a, a, a passage of repentance and 3,000 get saved. And a few verses later, and, and we're like, oh, we need more of that. So let's have some events. Let's get lots of people saved and dunked and wet. Even though we can't find them a year later. We don't know where they are. We have no idea if they're following Christ or not. But you know what? We feel really good because we baptized 3,000 people this week or this year or whatever it is. Guys, just below that, a few, a few verses below that is a way more powerful and frankly way more how the church went from 3,000 to millions and frankly caused the toppling of the Roman Empire. The greatest empire in the history of the world to that point and it was toppled by a bunch of Christians. Not by war, but by being nice to one another. They didn't need Rome anymore. Because they had each other. How do I know that? Because at the end of chapter 2, when it talks about how they had all things in common, and they were sharing as anyone had need, and they were breaking bread together in house to house, and they were glorifying God in the temple, it says, and the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. How was that happening? It tells us in the passage. When the people in the world saw what was going on in the church, the gathered people of Christ, they're like, I don't get this, but I need it. I need it. There's something in me that needs that kind of relationship, and I don't even know that I, I, don't even know that I like it. I just know I need it. And they stepped in, and way more people got saved that way than by Peter's message. So, God has a reason for what he is doing. A book that really challenged me, I read it about the time our church started. It was called When the Church Was a Family. It's written by a Greek scholar at Biola University, Dr. Joseph Hellerman. He says this, if your church culture perforces, or focuses primarily on single-handedly winning non-Christians to faith, set a better example. Pray that, God brings, that when God brings your friend to Christ, your church community will have so embraced them that he wouldn't know actually who won him to the faith. Guys, the Holy Spirit is bringing people together that want that genuinely... What's happening in our nation, what's happening in the West, is, is a clarifying of what it really means to be a Christian. And it does not mean the Holy Spirit's not working anymore. And if what we thought was success is measured by numbers, and we see the numbers go down, then somehow God's not working anymore. And that is a lie from the pit of hell that is trying to get us not to be active in the mission. Guys, we have to stop that. I, People need to behold and believe and then belong. They need to belong. And then they'll become and behave. Don't jump to the behave. Guys, you look at lamenting the world going, oh, look at what they're doing and look at how they're acting. Look at how. Guys, skip, the, forget that. Show them Jesus. We need, to, we need to show them Jesus. We need to help them believe in the truth of the gospel. We need to show them what belonging to a caring community looks like. From that point, 
God will take care of their behavior. As they live among us, they will begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. And as they live among us, so will we. Because it will stress us and test us. Because they didn't maybe look like us when they came in the door. So last thing. Why does the participation in the local church matter so much to God? God's roles, God's reasons, God's results. Look at our last few verses. Starting in verse 14. As a result, so as a result of all of everything I've just said, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every trickery and by, by, by the wind of doctrine and by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. From whom the whole, now get this guys. So first of all he's saying the church, one of the reasons the church matters is because we need each other to stay on course. Because I can quickly start to go, hey, that, that really sounds good, and it seems biblical, and it seems, and I need, some, I need some of you to go, oh, hang on a second. It feels like we're getting a little too this direction. And so, I, so if you're sitting here today going, yeah, Doug, I'm not really sure about this whole spirit thing, or I'm not really sure about this whole word thing, or I'm not really, I, don't leave. Come talk to us, because we need all of that. Right, that's the best part, that's what he's saying, he's like, he's like saying, so, so the, it's, the, it's, the, it's the tension of the mess of the conversation of, of fighting through the details of our doctrine and what we believe and, and why we believe it, which by the way, on your, on your table there is a paper right here because we want you to know, not, I mean, just like what we mean by being a church. So we have on, on your table, we have this, it's got the little colored thing, there's a couple copies, there's also extras on the connecting table, but it talks about what our church's mission is. It's to reveal the glory of God in relationship. We talk about how we're going to do that, why it matters. We're talking about what we expect, dare I say expectation, what, what we expect out of one another. Not what I expect from you, what we expect from one another as part of the family of God. You can go on our website and see everything that we believe in our doctrinal statement, and our statement of faith. We're not, we're not hiding what we, I don't, I'm not going to teach through it now, but we're not hiding any of that. That is incredibly important. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, for whom the whole body being fitted together. Guys, that's the Holy Spirit doing it to us. It doesn't say the whole body being organized by a pastoral staff. This is talk, this is in the passive. It means it's happening to us by something outside of us. The whole body being, being fitted together and held together by every joint supplies. That Every joint, that means it's not just the pastor doing it. It's, you guys are all joints, body parts. According to the proper working of each individual part of the body causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Guys, Christianity is not a spectator sport. We have sold it that way for so long in our country. Come watch the movie and leave. And guys, I'm, and I'm not even, this is, we've been, we were selling that before they were multi-site, multi-screen, multi-whatever. We were selling, come watch the guy, come watch the band perform, come watch the guy speak, and you've checked the box, you're good to go. Guys, we lament the lukewarmness of our, of our nation spiritually. We, we lament the lukewarmness of Christians in our nation. What if it's our fault? Right? What if what's going on in our country isn't the Democrats' fault? I'll just say it. What if it's the church's fault? Right? What if what we thought we were doing was really <laughs> working against what Christ once done. Because what we created was a whole bunch of people who thought they were good with God because they got wet and they checked a box and they said, I'm down with Jesus and I'm going to go live like the world. Right? And the world took them. And then we're shocked. Because we, the, the, I, I'm just trying to decide if I should stick to my notes. Let me just bottom line it. Let me just, we're, we're going to kind of cut to the end because I know we're, we're getting close to our time of response. Guys. But let me just bottom line it for you. It is going to get harder and harder to be a Christian in this country. It is going to get harder and harder to stay strong in your walk of faith. That's why we need each other. 
face. I need to know who's got my back. And you need to know who's got yours. We need to know who needs help. Guys, we are a family. That is not just a word that we throw around flippantly. Brother and sister is not a word that Jesus used because he was just being cool and hip. Hey, brother, how you doing, man? He was talking about a family. And guys, I get that some of us came from dysfunction in family. So the idea of family doesn't really sit well. I also get that this particular family puts the fun in dysfunction as well. Right? I'm not here to say that, man, everything is, I'm not, we, I'm not rainbows and unicorns about what we are as a family of God. What I am saying is that if there was ever a time in my life that we need a family, that we know that they believe what we believe, Guys, it's now because it's only going to get harder, not easier. And, 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 and the harder it gets, the more the enemy is going to lure people away. And so we need to be in a family that is willing to love us enough to not let us wander off without a fight. Right? We, need to be, we need to be so connected with one another that we can get in, we, in love, speaking the truth in love, he said, we can say to one another, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. And when they come back with, what are you all about attendance? I'm going to say, yes, I am. Because your attendance has to do with your, con- and, and again, I, I know it's a little, I, I'm counting you guys as attending. Love you. Uh, I'm talking about the people on the online. Some of you are like looking over there going, who are those people over there? It's the people online. Guys, I get that it's a unique time that we're in, but guys, we ha- their people's attendance is a measure of their connectedness. Right? It's like saying that it's like having a gym membership and never going to the gym. Stop wasting the money. Right? And at the, or at the very least, you can keep giving them the money if you want, but stop telling people you belong to a gym. I go to the gym. Ugh, I mean, I'm like, I haven't seen it in eight months. I'm not sure if it's even open right now because of COVID, but I go to a gym. No, you don't. Right? You just want the card. We are going to get more and more serious. As we, we're going to start into Nehemiah. By the way, there's a card on your table that talks that has the Nehemiah series laid out. We're going to start. I'm so, this was the first book I taught through as a pastor 10 years ago. I am so excited to reteach it in a very different way. We only did it in four weeks, eight years ago. We're doing eight weeks this, this time, so it's a completely different series. But I'm so excited about this because it, it, it is 2,500 years ago the desperate need for God's people to be together that, and, and what they were able to accomplish when they did. And that's what we want to really emphasize here. I'm going to read this last quote from Dr. Hellerman and figure out what else I forgot to tell you about. Oh, and uh, yeah. So how... Back to the, my first question, not the question of the day, but my first question. How do we measure success? Well, here's the problem. If we measure success poorly, we will set up structures that, that help us achieve that success, but don't move people along in Christ. In other words, if, if we measure success by the ABCs, by attendance, baptisms, and cash, we, can put, we put things in place to grow those three things. We start thinking we're doing a good thing, and we're not actually making disciples in Christ. Oh, by the way, one more handout on your, pa- on your table. Our discipleship structure. We just want, I just wanted to, there's a couple of sh- uh, pages on each table and again on the connecting table that talk about what we're doing. This is not forever. Like things will get added to this. Names will be changed a little bit. We're, we're very open to the Holy Spirit and what God's going to do. But for now, this is what we're doing in helping people get better at teaching people how to teach people the Bible. So all I'm asking you to do today is take it home with you later, not now, later, read it and start looking at, okay, Lord, where do I need to get plugged into one of these discipleship opportunities? Because our desire is we, ha- we have to not play church, right? Like attendance shows connectedness. Being here on Sunday is not nearly enough. You heard it from RJ. You hear it from me all the time. It's not, and, and even just reading your Bible on your own is not nearly enough. It is the interconnectedness of the unity of the spe- that the Spirit creates. The one another's are, are so important for us. 
And it's also why we're trying to wrestle through as a church and continuing to wrestle through as a church family. What does it look like for us, Cornerstone in particular in our little world, and people that are trying to take it to other parts of their little world like Daniel, what does it look like for us to do church in a way, again, not just Sundays, to do church in a way that actually is the mission Christ has called us to. So here's my last quote from Dr. Hellerman. He says, how you run your schedule on Sundays tells, says much about what you hope for your people. If they're ushered in from the parking lot, into a nursery, and right into a theater-like seating area, then gently rushed out afterwards to make space for the next service, it says that church is primary. Now, guys, get this. This is what most churches have been doing. Not just mega churches. Please do not hear me bashing CCV about this. They didn't invent that model. Most churches, even small ones, were doing this. Multi-service. Get them in, get them out. Because we've got to keep moving, got to keep getting, getting people in. From a very good heart, I think, for the most part. But look at what he, he goes on to say. He says that, that church is primarily about the personal experience during the gathering rather than the relationships that form around the gathered time. Consumers rush in and out of the service, viewing church as a spiritual drive through But true, connected disciples come early and stay late. They see church more as a family to belong to and less as an event to attend. But guys, this requires that we are willing to be accountable to one another. And I get that just like expectation, accountability is not a word that we like in our culture these days. Right? And so I'm asking you to pray about what is that, what, like, like, in fact, I, and I'm not going to take the time now, um, the music team can come up and we're going to respond here in just a minute, but... Um, in, in our time of communion, but is the table talk question that is on your handout, on your connecting point, says this. Do you agree with the idea that we are meant to live this life in accountable relationships with others? Are you comfortable with accountability to others or holding others accountable? What emotions do you feel when you think about accountability and where do they stem from? Guys, like I said, it, it is only going to get harder to be a Christian in this, in this country. And as, and as much as I lament that for my daughters, and as much as I lament that for, there's a part of me, I don't want to, I, I probably shouldn't say it publicly, but there's a part of me that just is almost excited. I mean, I, I don't like seeing what's going to happen in our country. I don't, like morally. But I think it's going to be really good for the real church. I really do. Guys, we were made for this moment. We were. As, as Christians, we were made for this. Guys, the peace and prosperity that the Christian church has experienced in America over the, over the 200 plus years of its existence is unheard of in the history of the world. Do you understand that? And you say that and go, yeah, so why can't we just go back there? But you got to retrain your brain and go back to where? Because somewhere after the first great awakening, we lost our rudder. And we started seeing success as Christians, frankly, is what got us to this place as a country. We have got to redefine what all that looks like. We have got to be willing to go, I don't know for sure exactly what all these handouts and what, what the model is supposed to be. I just know a couple things. It needs to be centered on the Word of God and on the people of God. Because that's what the church is supposed to be about. We are to be kingdom people living by kingdom power for kingdom glory. Because it is not about building the kingdom of the United States of America. It is not about building the kingdom of the United Nations. It is not about building the kingdom. It is His kingdom. His kingdom come. His will be done. And we have got to remember what He told us. Guys, just write down Mark 13, verse 1 through like 13. Look it up later. The disciples are looking at him and they're saying, man, isn't the temple awesome? He's on his way to the cross, like he's on his way to Jerusalem that last week. And the disciples are like, isn't this awesome? Church is going so good, Jesus. The, the temple is bigger, literally bigger than it had ever been in, in the history of the temple existence in Jerusalem. Herod had built a massive work. And they're like, isn't it going great? And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it will not be long before every single stone is unturned. 
And then he says, oh, by the way, guess what? You're going to hear about wars and rumors of wars and nations rising up against nations and famine and earthquakes. And these are just the beginning of the birth pains. And then he says this, oh, by the way, brother is going to turn against brother and sister against sister and mother against son. And then he says, oh, by the way, they're going to drag you in to the, to the justices. And you are going to be Get this, guys. I, I get that this is not a fun way to end the message. I get that you're not going to walk out here going, yeah. But we should. Because Jesus told us. He says, and you will be hated by the world because of me. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me pray. Father, I just come to you right now, Lord. In the name above all names, the name that will make, someday will make every knee bow and every tongue confess. Um, Lord, I thank you for the truth that we have been made for this, that we have been saved for this time. I thank you for how Brian started the prayer time today that was just a, a powerful time of remembering that you are king. That you are the one who has purchased by your blood people from every tribe, tongue, and nation for your glory. Lord, I, th I thank you that, that we don't need to wonder about what's happening in our world because you told us it was happening. But, but you also told us that in that very hour that we are taken to the justices and that they ask and they question us, that we don't need to worry about what we're supposed to say because your Holy Spirit will tell us what to say. We are never closer to you than when we are on mission for you, boldly proclaiming the truth of you to a world that needs to see you. So Lord, help us to be those people. Help us to be that church. I don't even know what that's going to look like in a year from now. But you do, and I'm okay with that. I need to be okay with that. Help me to be okay with that. Lord, I thank you that victory is found in Christ alone. And in him alone we have victory. In Jesus' name.